This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Today we're going to continue our sermon series on searching. Last week, we talked about the absolute truth of God's Word. And today, out of that, we're going to go into our first question, and that is, is there really a hell? The follow-up part of this, when we are out and about and people would ask that question, is there really a hell? It's usually rooted in, wouldn't a loving God, wouldn't a loving God save everyone? Why would a loving God send individuals to hell? Well, today, we're going to answer that. Now, there's many different ways or aspects of this question. It's got different facets to it. Why was hell created? Who will be in hell? What's the purpose of hell? Is Satan real? Why is there evil in the world? So many different aspects. I can't go into all of it today, but we're going to begin to look at is hell real? Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is anointed. Today we're gonna open the word, and as we open the word of God, I pray that you will speak to our hearts. Take the anointed word and bring revelation. Speak to us, reveal to us, illuminate it to us, so that, Father, we can live it. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Today it starts, to answer this, starts with me, first of all, helping you to understand that there are some spiritual realities. Some spiritual realities that'll help us to begin to understand, is there really a hell? Why is there a hell? Who will go to hell? How do we begin to understand this question? The spiritual realities start with this, and that is, first of all, that God made you to love you. He made you because he loves you and he wants you and I to learn to love him in return. Another way I could say it is you were made by God for God. Made by God for God because he loves you with an everlasting love and his love will never change. He loves you. A second reality is that you were made to last forever. Your life on this earth will end. There will be a day that we will take our last breath. But the reality for you and I, we have to understand, is that when we take our last breath here on this earth, when our heart stops, there is a life after that. Where will you spend your life after that? We're going to talk about it today. That leads to the third reality, and that is a spiritual reality, is that God has prepared two eternal places. The first eternal place is called heaven, and heaven is real. In John chapter 14, in verse 2, Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back. That's what we're waiting for, the return of Christ. I'm going to come back, and when I come back, I am going to take you with me to be with me. You will be where I am. You see, heaven is not just a state of being. It is a real place. The spiritual reality we have to understand is that there is a real heaven. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 24, Jesus, Jesus is showing us there is a real heaven. Come, 
You who are blessed by my father, take your, your what? Your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. You see, heaven was prepared for you and I. Why? It's because God loves you and he wants you to spend eternity with him in heaven. So if there's a real heaven, you've got to go with me to understand that there is also a real hell. Hell is not a place that God will be. It's not a place that's been prepared for you, but it is a real place. Going back to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, Jesus, still speaking, says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. The father will say, depart from me. You who are what? Cursed. You depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So here it says that it was prepared for the devil and his angels. He will say to those who have rejected God, those who haven't accepted God, he will say, depart from me. So when you, when you look at this, if you believe that there's a Jesus, if you believe that there's really a heaven, then you've got to understand from the words of Christ that there really is a hell. In fact, Jesus talks about the judgment that is going to come. In fact, there's more verses that Jesus talks about hell than he even does heaven. He helps us to see that it was not created originally for us as human beings. It was created for Satan and his angels. It's a spiritual reality. There's two eternal places, heaven and hell. Another spiritual reality is that you and I get to choose where we will spend eternity. We get to make the choice. So it's not that God just sends us to hell. We choose where we're going to go. It's a spiritual reality. It was the same choice that God gave to the Israelites all the way back into the Old Testament. It's the same choice that he's giving to you and I today. It can be found in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 26. God said, today I'm giving you the choice. The choice between a blessing and a curse. You will be blessed if it's conditional. You're blessed if, you may wanna circle that in your outline, if you obey the commands of the Lord. If you command, obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, you will be blessed. But then he goes on to say, but you will be cursed, the condition again, if you reject. You may wanna underline it. If you reject the commands of the Lord your God and you turn away from him and you worship gods that you have not known before, then you will be rejected. So here he's showing us that all the way back to the Israelites, the choice is in you and I. It's called the free will of man. We get to make that choice. Let me give you an example. Suppose you're homeless and as someone that's homeless, I offer you grace and I invite you to come and to live in my house, to live with me and my family, that you get all the privileges of the house. In fact, I'm so gracious that I even give you my credit card and all of my resources for free. They're yours, they're, they're yours, you can have them. I'm taking you in out of grace and the kindness of my heart. 
Now, because of that, would it be reasonable for me to expect that you are going to abide by the house rules? Well, of course it would be, right? That's why as parents, we get frustrated when our children are rejecting that, right? This is my house. You live by my rules, right? It's, it's not unreasonable. But if you reject my gracious offer, if you choose to still live out on the streets, to live out, you know, living your life and your lifestyle the way you want, would that be my fault that you're still living on the streets? No, I've invited you to come in. I've given you the offer of all of my resources to eat at my table, to use my credit card, to do everything that my family would have the privilege of doing. You could do it, but if you reject it, that is not my fault. And therefore, it would not be right for you to blame me for being unloving. See, the reality is it would be your choice. And that is how it is today. A spiritual reality that we've got to understand is that there are two eternal places and we make the choice where we will spend eternity. Which leads us to the last spiritual reality and that is there is no second chance after you die. When you breathe that last breath here on this earth, when no longer is your heart beating, you have no other opportunity. When we lived in Europe, when we uh, uh, rode the subways in Europe, they were very strict. You could not get on the subway if you had not already punched the ticket. You couldn't wait and try to get on there and punch it at the last minute. There's no way to do that. You had to do it before you got on the train. Well, before you breathe your last breath, you must make the choice. Where will you spend eternity? There is no halfway house. There is no purgatory. Purgatory is not in the Bible. In fact, all the way back to Pope John Paul II, it was a concept from the Catholic Church, and he actually stated himself, it's not an actual place. There is no second chance. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me into eternity. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In fact, the Bible says this in Matthew 25 and verse 46, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. What Jesus is saying to you and I is, it's your choice. It's my choice. And if we choose to reject, we go into eternal punishment. But if we choose to follow, we choose to walk the righteous life, then we have eternal life. Now, that is why Satan is trying to make us feel like we have time, to make us think we have plenty of time, that it's okay, you can delay your decision, because if you delay your decision to follow Christ, if you're here today, listening to me today, and you've not made a decision to follow Christ, Satan is trying to make you feel like you have time, because when you breathe your last breath, the time, the clock, it has stopped. There is no more opportunity. So those are some spiritual realities that lead us into understanding then why the enemy is fighting you and I. And this is what we call the invisible war. If you're taking notes, write it down that we are in a spiritual battle. It's an invisible war. It's being manifested and it's something that's happening in the heavenlies, but you see it in the physical realm and the effects impact you and me. There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God, 
God and righteousness and holiness are the values of the kingdom. And then there's the kingdom of Satan. The values of this world, the systems of the world follow the values of Satan. And there is an invisible war that's going on. In fact, I love what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Put it up for me. 2 Corinthians, do we have it? Chapter 4, verse 4. Satan, say Satan. Satan, who is the God of this world. What has he done? He's blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. By the way, what do we call the good news around here? The message of hope. The message of hope is the good news, and he's going to help us to understand what is the good news. Satan has blinded them, and therefore individuals whose minds have been blinded don't understand this message of the good news about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So the invisible war is a battle. It's a battle to control your heart and to control your worship. It's a battle of determining who's going to be the Lord of your life. What system are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the systems of God, the kingdom of God, or are you going to follow the systems and the values of this world? And it's a battle that's going on. It's a battle that the enemy is fighting and we've got to understand it. It's in the spirit realm. It's impacting our heart, but it manifests and it definitely affects what happens in the physical realm. Here, it says Satan. Let me help you to understand a little bit about Satan. Satan was originally one of the highest, uh, uh, highest created beings of God. He was one of the uh, highest of God's angels. His title was Lucifer. He led all of creation. Isaiah 14, verse 14 says, in worship. But we see in Isaiah 14 that he took pride in his own beauty, in his own position, and he began to develop within his heart a jealousy against God and and the position of God, and he wanted the position of God, that he leads a third of the angelic forces of angels of heaven in a rebellion against God, and as they rebel against God, they're banned from the heaven of God. Look here, Isaiah 14, how you have fallen from heaven. O shining star, speaking about Lucifer, Satan, son of the morning, you have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. Goes on to say, for you said to yourself, Satan says to himself, I will ascend to the heaven and I will set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountains of the God far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and I will be like God most high. You see his pride, pride that filled his heart that he wanted and and purposed himself to become like God, to take the position of God and to begin to be elevated as God would be elevated. And Lucifer and the angels that he, that he led in rebellion against God, we see that they're, they're, they're cast out of the heavens to the earth. But in this, you see that there was a free will. 
Satan had a free will. These angels had a free will. And God has created you and I, man, with a free will. To become like God is what Satan wanted uh, to be. And he challenged the, the supremacy of God and the authority of God. And he wanted to place himself there where God would be. And you see that free will is what led him in a rebellion to reject God. Now it's in that free will of man that leads you and I up upon these paths that we take that makes us begin to reject God because our free will is rejecting what God would, God would want for us and we're going our own way. And therefore, we see the answer of our question, is hell real? Is there really an eternity out of the presence of God through these scriptures? Satan has given many different names in scripture. He's called your adversary, like a roaring lion who's going around looking for one that he can pounce on and devour. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He's making accusations against you and I. He's slandering us. He's called the evil one, the tempter. He's called the, the angel of light, the destroyer, the murderer, the prince of the air, the tempter. So many different names about Satan. Now, the most important thing that I want us to understand today as I answer this question is that Satan has a purpose. And that purpose for us as believers, we must understand it. In the end days, the Bible is very clear that wickedness is going to increase and demonic influence is going to become more and more, ele uh, uh, just more and more evident. And we've got to understand that. In fact, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, in order that Satan might not, underline this, outwit us. So that Satan does not outwit you, we must become aware. We are not unaware of his schemes. The word schemes is the word trickery. That we, can let, we cannot let Satan trick us, entice us, bait us, and get us to fall for his schemes. He has a purpose. Ephesians chapter 6 says it this way. Ephesians 6 verse 11, put on the full armor of God. That's a great devotional, by the way, for you to begin to study what is the armor of God? How do you put on the armor of God? How do you walk with the armor of God? Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able, circle this, to do what? To stand firm. When you put on the armor of God, you're able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Why is this important? It's because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and powers and, and the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So here, Paul is helping us understand that there is an invisible war, there's a spiritual battle, that, that there is a battle that's going on and we must beware of his scheme so that we can stand against the enemy. So if I had to summarize, what are some of the purposes that Satan has so that we can beware, stand firm, that we understand his schemes and what he's trying to do to understand his purpose, I want you to write these down. Satan's purpose, first of all, is to deceive us. To deceive us. If I go back to 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, I read it a moment ago, but look here one more time. Satan who is the God of this world, 
the values of this world, the systems of this world, the philosophies of this world. Satan is behind the the influence of this world. He has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Therefore, they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message of the good news about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. It shows us that, that, that Satan's purpose is to blind you, to prevent you from salvation, to keep you from a place that you don't understand the message of hope, the good news message, the glorious message. You see, God is not willing that any should perish, but Satan's plan, Satan's desire is that God would not allow anybody to understand his message of hope, and therefore Satan is not willing that any are saved. He's doing everything he can. His desire is to remove God as the supremacy of your life, the supreme authority of your life. His desire is to take your worship. His desire is to keep man from experiencing the glory of God and the message of God. So he's trying to deceive you. He's trying to keep your mind darkened, blinded, your mind blinded. He's trying to keep you to a place that you're not able to see the glorious light. And believers, I'm I'm challenging us not to be blinded, but to understand what Satan's purpose is. A second purpose of Satan is that he wants to distort the word of God. Of God. What do you mean he wants to distort the word? Well, he wants to keep you, Satan's purpose is to keep you from fulfilling the will of God. The reason is that God's word, if he can distort it, the reason he's trying to distort it is because the word of God is life changing. God's word is transformational, it's very important. If we begin to question the word, if we're ignorant to the word, if we don't believe in the absolute truth of the word, if we don't believe the word anymore, we lose trust in the word, then the word loses power to change our life. It it loses power to become the guide and to lead us and to guide us. If we don't trust it, if it gets distorted in our life, then it is no longer the tool that God can use to help us to become what God wants us to be. If we begin to, 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 to no longer believe it, to no longer trust it, to no longer uh, build our life upon it, then we begin to believe that there's contradictions in it. And what begins to happen is we become a God to ourselves and this no longer is the truth that will guide us. Paul says it this way to young Timothy. I want you to remember Timothy is a young minister. Paul's the apostle. He is speaking to young Timothy and he says to him in 2 Timothy 3, 16, every part of scripture, this is the message Bible, but he says every part of scripture is God breathed. God breathed it. And, and, and those that he breathed it upon, the, the authors of the scripture wrote the word of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
They wrote within their own natural ability and they wrote with their own, if it would be grammatical styles, they wrote, God didn't just dictate it. He didn't take their hand and force them to write it, but he breathed upon them the concepts and the thoughts that they, that they were to write to you and I and every part is God breathed and therefore it is useful. It is useful one way or another showing us what? The truth. Showing us the way we should go. Exposing our own rebellion. Where my heart deceives me. Where the enemy is deceiving me. The word of God exposes it and it corrects my mistakes. If I'm not in the word, then the reality is the word doesn't become like a mirror to my life where it's reflecting what I really am, what I'm really thinking, what I really believe. My perspectives and, 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 and beliefs begin to become distorted. And now before I know it, I'm no longer trusting and believing that the word of God is the guidebook for my life. And therefore, he says, it trains us, it shows us, it helps us to live God's way. How? Through the word of God. And it puts us together and it shapes us together so that we can become what God has planned for us to become and we're shaped up for the task that God has for us. So church, understand that the enemy's purpose is to distort the word of God. That's why we need to be in the word. You have devotionals that, that will guide you. Get, get a devotional that will guide you. Get, get uh, passages that you're reading and you're studying. I know everything is gone digital and, and electronic, but one of the things about a good old-fashioned paper Bible is you can underline, you can circle, you can write thoughts off to the side, you can meditate, you can reflect, you can journal. We talked about it last week. We receive the word. We remember the word so that we're responding to the word as the word of God comes into our hearts. Another purpose of Satan is to get us to doubt God. To get us to begin to believe, like, like Satan did with Adam and Eve in the garden, to begin to, to believe or to doubt what God may be saying. Satan came to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say? And he began to lead them to a point where they were questioning God and questioning the ways of God, to doubt God. Now every believer in this room You've got to learn to doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts. We all are going to have moments where we doubt, where the enemy gets us to question, where he comes and he, and he begins to have you question your gifts, question your identity, question your ministry, question your friends, question the word of God. The enemy will bring so many doubts and we've got to learn to stand, take those thoughts captive, doubt my doubts, and begin to find who am I in the word and what has God said about who I am? Because if I don't doubt my doubts, I'll begin to believe my doubts and I'll follow my doubts. And if I do, it begins to lead me in a path that I do not wanna go. So he wants to deceive you from the truth, to rebel against God, to turn from the Lord. In fact, what the enemy tries to do is he, he tries to mix a little bit of truth with a little bit of air. You look in scripture and you see that's what he did. You will not surely die. It was a half truth. 
You won't surely die. But the moment they ate, they didn't immediately begin to die, but (laughs) it began to take place. Satan's goal was achieved. When he gets you to begin to doubt, he begins to get us to a place where we no longer trust God. The next one that I understand that probably for us as believers is one of the biggest ones is that the purpose of Satan is to get you distracted, to distract you and to to steal your focus away from God. What the enemy's trying to do is the enemy's trying to make you ineffective, to keep you in depression, to keep you discouraged, to keep you bound in your habits and your addictions. The battle that's going on is a battle to get you distracted from living out the will and the purposes of God, from walking in your anointing that God has for you and making you ineffective when it comes to your spiritual life, the power of God that's working within you and that which God wants to do, your anointing through you. Look here, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter six, verse 22. If, it's conditioned, circle it, if your eye is pure, there will be sunshine. I love the way the living Bible says it. There will be sunshine in your soul. Your soul is your mind, your thoughts, and your emotions. If your eye is pure, there will be sunshine in your soul. But the condition If your eye is clouded, distracted, clouded with evil thoughts and desires, you are then in deep spiritual darkness and oh, how deep and dark that can be. See, what you focus on is important. Fixing your attention is vital. So Satan knows that that if he can distract us and bring distractions our way, all of a sudden it begins to turn us. In fact, I love how Paul says it in this next verse here in Timothy, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter three. He says to young Timothy, mark this. To young Timothy, don't forget this. Timothy, I want you to understand that there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, I can't say it, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, Oh, this next one, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And boy, that's a sermon in itself. There's power in your godliness. Denying its power have nothing to do with them. The distractions. Church, we've got to guard our heart. Because the enemy's bringing in a myriad of, of distractions that would try to get your focus off of God. Here, Paul says to young Timothy in his day, and it's still true today, pleasures of life, money, and jobs, and career, and passions, and busyness. Oh, so many things that get us distracted. Another purpose of Satan is to divide the body of Christ. 
If he can get us divided, then there's no power in anointing. Unity releases an anointing. The work of the Spirit works where there's unity. But if he can weaken and divide the church, then the people of God will not be walking in the power and the anointing that God has for us. Look here in Matthew 13, verse 25. But that right, excuse me, that night, as the workers slept, if you're taking notes, underline that, as the workers slept, as we get distracted, as we allow apathy in our hearts, as we don't keep the flame burning and on fire, why is life group so important? Is we stoke up that fire with one another and we stir it up and the passion gets stirred up. But at night when they slept, Lord, help us not to sleep. His enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. And when the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also began to grow. The farmers, workers went to him, the master, and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is now full of weeds. Where did they come from? And the master said, An enemy has done this. What is the enemy trying to do is to bring disunity. Paul would say over and over to us, if I was preaching on this point as a sermon, that we've got to guard our unity. We've got to strive for unity. We've got to work for unity. And the reason is because there's an anointing when we're unified. Another thing that the enemy tries to do is to disgrace you. He tries to disgrace your reputation, your integrity, your witness, your ministry. Jesus said to Simon, 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 Satan, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed and pleaded in prayer for you. I've prayed, Simon, that your faith should not fail so that when you have repented, return again and strengthen your brothers. This word sift, the enemy, Satan has asked to sift you is to like shake you. It's like a, a process of the grain and the shaft that's being shifted. It's a picture of what Satan wants to do. And he's trying to shake disciples to test you, to make sure that you're genuine, to prove that you're genuine, to cut the very heart of God. And if he can disgrace you, it disgraces the kingdom of God. And that's what he's wanting to do. So he attacks your identity. He attacks your family. He attacks the church. He attacks your witness. He does everything to disgrace you so that you would be a disgrace to the kingdom of God. But Jesus said, Simon, I've prayed that your faith should not fail. Can I hear an amen? The beauty for you and I is that God is standing with us. This week as I was preparing and reading, I came across a true story in the Louvre in Paris, hung for many, many years. It's since been sold to a private collection but for many, many years hung a painting that was called Checkmate. The painting Checkmate, you'll see it on the, on the screen behind me. In the painting Checkmate, you'll see the young man who's, who, who looks defeated. He's worried. If you study it up close where it's, where it's not so grained out, you'll even see that there's sweat on his brow. And you'll see across from him is the enemy. 
the adversary. The adversary in the game has the upper hand. He's about to defeat him. Some believe he's already kind of called checkmate. And one day as a master of chess came through the Louvre and saw the picture, he was struck by it. He studied it and studied it and studied it to the point that he just couldn't leave it. He had with him being a master of chess, he had a board and pieces and he lays it out He began to put the pieces on the board just like are in the painting. And as he studied it and he would make moves and and begin to look what looks like to be a defeat for this young man, all of a sudden the master of chess yelled out, I've got it, I've got it, your king has one more move. And he had studied the game so much that he saw that where the young man thought he was defeated, he actually had another move that would put the adversary in a check position and he would lose the game. Well, I'm here to tell you today, your king has another move. Your enemy is attacking. You may feel like it's over, it's checkmate, but I'm here to tell you today, your king has another move. Turn to somebody and say, your king has another move. So in conclusion today, let me go back to the question How do we know that hell exists? Why does hell exist? Well, today we've looked at scripture and we see that it was created not for you, but it was created for Satan and his demons. Can I hear an amen in the house? But unfortunately, if we reject God and if we don't turn our hearts over to God, the reality is the gift of salvation is being offered to you and I. But if we don't receive it, we will be eternally separated from God. But the good news is that Jesus came to rescue us from this uncertainty of where will we spend eternity. And when we receive Christ, there's now a certainty in our hearts where we will spend eternity. I like the way Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians chapter one, Paul says, and they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven. That is Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. And he, Jesus, is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. You see, today... Hell wasn't created for you. There is really a hell, but it was created for Satan and his demons. It was created for those that reject God. But when you and I make a decision to follow Christ, then the reality is we know where we will spend eternity and it's not going to be in what we're studying today, hell. Heaven has been created for us. Heaven is the place that God wants all those who love him, that understand his love to spend eternity. He says once and for all, you've gotta know Hebrews 7.25 says, he is able to save those who come to him. He is able. And today I want you to understand it, that eternal life is found through Jesus Christ. Is hell real? Yes. Is heaven real? Yes. And heaven has been created for you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word today, for it's powerful. Today we turn to you 
through the word, the absolute truth of the word of God. And we turn saying, Father, help us. As Paul would say, not to be unaware, to stand firm, to understand the schemes and the trickery of the enemy. Help us to understand that God, you've prepared a place for us. It's a place for all of eternity called heaven. And all we have to do is receive the gift of salvation. Today, I pray God that you will open our eyes, that we will not be distracted, that we will not allow the word of God to be distorted in any way. And Father, we will fight for unity. That we will see the power, the power of unity. God, we would understand that the enemy's goal and desire is to disgrace, to disgrace us before this world, to disgrace you. But God, today you've prayed for us. You're strengthening us. You're helping us to walk and to live a life of obedience and righteousness. And I thank you for that. Today, I pray that you'll turn all hearts back to you. Heads are bowed across this room. For those that are also joining us online, I ask a simple question. Do you know where you will spend eternity? Do you know that your name is written in God's book of life? Do you know that you have peace with God? If maybe you've been distracted, if maybe the enemy has blinded your mind to the gospel message, the good news, the message of hope, then I pray today's word is a word of illumination to you. That the power of the word of God would bring transformation to your life. That today you would make a commitment to be a follower of Christ. Heads are bowed across this room. I can't see those that are watching by live stream, but I ask this question. Do you need to be right with God? Do you know that you're not in a right place with him? Are there things in your life that you need to surrender to him? Today is the day of salvation. Jesus says in Revelation, I stand at the door, the door of your heart, and I knock. If you will open, I will come in. And I'll have fellowship with you. I'll, I'll sup with you. I'll, I'll have relationship with you. But you gotta open your heart to him. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I know that my life has not been right. I've not been in a right place with God. But today I wanna surrender my life to Christ. I wanna ask him to forgive me of my sin and to come into my heart to forgive me today. If that's you, would you lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to pray for you. Yes, sir. God bless you. Yes. Anyone else would say, Pastor? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Pastor, pray for me. Across the floor. Yes, ma'am. Through the balcony. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down, maybe online. You know that that question is a question that you need to respond to today. I'm not there to see your hand, but if you were in a place where we could talk, I could see you, you'd be saying, Pastor, pray for me. Then today, I want you to join me because in just a moment, I'm gonna pray. And when I pray, I 
want you to surrender your heart to the Lord. If you lifted your hand, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to ask you just to pray with me. As you pray with me, we're going to be praying that God would do a new work in your life. She would begin to open your eyes, open your heart, open your mind, open your spirit. He would begin to do a new work in you. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Pray aloud. In fact, everybody, pray with me. And say, Father God, thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you created me to love me. And today my desire is to learn to love you in return. Today I come to you realizing that I need you in my life. I need you in my heart. And I surrender my life to you. I surrender my heart to you. I invite you, Lord Jesus, to come into my life. Thank you that you came to this earth and you lived this life to be a sacrifice for me. Today I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart, change my life. Today I make you my Lord and my Savior. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Praise the Lord. If you prayed today, you lifted your hand, you prayed with me, and you know that you've not been in a right place with God today, God heard your prayer. We're here as a church to help you to walk and journey, your spiritual walk and journey, to grow in faith, to become what God wants you to be, to to grow the roots of your faith strong. We have a, a few resources that'll help you to begin the journey in your new life with Christ. All you need to do is to take your cell phone, You'll see a number on the screen right now. Text the word decision. And as soon as you text that word, it'll link over to me so that I can begin, first of all, to pray with you, but secondly, to connect to you, to help you to begin to grow your faith with God. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I don't want you to ever forget it. You've been created by God to be loved by God. And his desire is that you learn to love him in return. We want to partner with you in that journey. So take your phone, text the word decision, wherever you're at, here in Fort Lauderdale or wherever you're at, we can partner right there if you'll do that. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.